As I was preparing for this, I was just thinking, um, have you guys ever noticed one of the first things that we do as people um, is, is ask somebody what they do for a living? Um, it, it's all about job, right? And um, I know this is especially true with men. Um, I rarely meet a man that I don't know what they do for a living. And, and there's some reasons behind that, right? Um, one, um, if I'm being really honest, as men, I think we all do this. We're sizing each other up, right? I want to know what you do so you know what I do. And I kind of dread this question because in this season of life as a pastor, it's kind of like one of those things, like, are they going to think less of me? Like, am I, I'm going to be a wussy because I get up with a microphone. And it's kind of one of those things, right? And outside of that, it's because it gives us some insight into who people are as well, right? I mean, we can kind of, we can make some assumptions based on who they are based off what they do, right? Um, if they're in law enforcement, we kind of get an idea of that personality. It's a certain personality type that fits that persona, right? Um, if they're a, a florist, you know, they're hopefully um, probably a female. Um, I don't know a lot of men that, that you know, like that kind of thing. But we, again, we make assumptions based off of that. The other day I was out um, and I met this gentleman and, and I saw him. He looked a little pudgy and he's with his daughter. And, and, and again, as a man, I'm kind of like sizing him up like, yeah. I'm better than him. And uh, I start to have a conversation. I'm really polite. Um, he needed something. He's like, hey, do you have an air pump? And I'm like, yeah. And I get to talking to him. And so I go down that road that we all go down. It's like, what do you do? And, uh, and I'm just kind of, you know, mentally kind of puffed up. You can laugh. I know you guys do this too. Um, and he's like, yeah, I run, a, I run in like an MMA gym. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, it's like that, you know, it's like, never mind, never mind. I'll just go back to minding my own business. And again, we do this because it's kind of like a window into people's lives. Like it's a great starting point so we can know something about them. So we can begin to pursue relationship, pursue conversations. So we can make assumptions, prejudices based off of them as we move forward. It's a window into their lives. It's a picture in a moment that we can draw from. It's useful. It is if we use it for the right reasons. And so what someone does, it's not always obvious, right? Just like the gentleman that I saw that apparently could whoop me up one side of the street and down the other, um, it's not always clear, it's not always obvious. But when it comes to, to being Christians, when it comes to being followers of Jesus, when we make that decision, it should be obvious. It should be obvious that, that we follow him, right? And, and just like our jobs are insight, the things that we do as Christians, should be what makes it obvious that we follow Jesus. And so as you've come into recovery, you know, the past few weeks, we've talked about loving God, we've talked about surrender, we've talked about loving people, and all of those things culminate and point at something, a surrender through our actions, and that surrender should begin to reveal to people who you are, who you pursue, and what you do. And so as Christians, our faith should be apparent to those around us. Our faith should be apparent to those around us. From God's word, from God's word, we know this, that, that the most saved people, right, those that are closest to God, they've got to have a crucifix around a chain around their neck. Those are the holy of holy people, right? God's word reveals that to us, or at least we think it does. But the really saved people, and I'm going to pick on some people, it's nothing personal, are the ones that get the crucifix tattooed, right? You got the whole back piece, Jesus spread out, you know, across the whole thing. Those are the really saved people. And the ones that are better than all of us, right? They post Christian memes every single day, every single day. My favorite are those taken out of context because the only word that they ever get is from other 
people's Christian memes. And those are the things that let people know that you're saved, that you're a Jesus follower, right? No, not at all. God's word actually tells us the thing that should reveal. And nothing against, though, I know I probably pressed a lot of buttons on all of those things. And it's, again, it's nothing personal. All of those things are good. I have nothing against them. But, but that's not what it's about. That, that's, not what should, that's not what we should depend on to reveal to people whose we are and whom we serve. If the only thing you have going for you in your workplace that lets people know you love Jesus is a cross around your neck, you've missed it. If the only thing you have going for you is the ink down your arm that says, I love Jesus, that's got some scripture on it, and that's the only thing that reveals that you love Jesus, you've missed it. If it's only by the post on Facebook, Instagram, that say, I love God, and that's the only revealing truth in your walk, you've missed it. And God's word actually tells us. It gives us a thermometer of, of what people can go by to know, to look at our lives and say, they're surrendered. They love God. They love people. This is real. They're bought in. God's word reveals what that is. It doesn't save us, but it's evidence of salvation. And James reveals it in James chapter 2. Now, I'll give you a little background on James. James was not always a follower of Christ. In fact, he was the half-brother of Jesus. And I love to think about this. I know a lot of people hit on it. What would it take for your sibling to convince you that they're the son of God? So James' brother, Jesus, did that. Convinced his half-brother, I'm the son of God, I follow him, to the point that, that James actually was the head of the church in Jerusalem. I mean, what a, he, he went from not believing to at one point probably thinking his brother was crazy to recognizing that it was all for real, leading a church and writing a part of our New Testament. And James, he begins to give what, what evidence should be in our lives that, that we've surrendered, that we've changed, that, we've pers- that we're pursuing him, that we've made him the sinner. And in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, it says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? I want to pause right there. I don't want you to, to misread this. I don't want you to mishear or understand what I'm saying. The things that you do in no way, no shape or form save you. They have no impact on salvation. Your works are meaningless when it comes to making you right before God. Meaningless. But if you've surrendered... You've been recreated. You've been made new. And that's, that's a legitimate thing that's taken place. There should be an outward expression of it through your works. That, that, that should overflow. I've touched on this before. I touched on it last week. I didn't like children, yet I began to serve and to love children because I, I had no choice inside of me. There was something that drew me to that. And that was evidence of salvation in my life where people could look and say, something's changed here. Something that I can't see has taken place in Aaron's life because he's now working with children and doing things that I never thought he would do. Those things didn't save me. Those things didn't set me apart, but it was evidence of an inner work in my life. He continues, and he says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? 
Basically, he's saying that when we go around with, with empty words, empty promises, good thoughts, good intentions that aren't backed by anything, is that faith? Is that, is that faith that, that saves is that recognizing that you've made Jesus Lord? I mean, we learned the last few weeks that making Jesus Lord causes us to love God. And if we're going to love God, we have to love people like God loved people. And God sacrificed his son so that we could be saved. And so if that's the kind of love we're operating in, how can we pass somebody by and be indifferent to their situation? If our heart's not burdened for them, if we're not called to action in some way, then how could that love be inside you? And that's what he's saying there. Not that it saves you, but because you're saved, that love's inside. Your spirit's been regenerated in such a way that you have no choice but to act on it. And he continues. He says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless, say unless, unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. What, what, what a powerful an incredible statement. I mean, we know from Paul that, that he says, man, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. I mean, that's faith, right? I'm saved by, by faith and grace alone. Absolutely. But, but if it's real, if, if it's the type of faith that saves, that faith recognizes Jesus as Lord. And if Jesus is recognized as Lord, then what he's called us to do, which is love people like he would love them, is our only response. It, it's the only response. Unless you don't have the faith that saves. Again, works don't save you, but works should be representative of what's taken place in your life of what God's done. He continues, he says, now someone may argue. Some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? How can you show me that you love God if, if you're not acting it out towards a love with people? If you're not pursuing them in such a way, that, that's what he's saying here. How can you show me faith without acting in a manner that Jesus would act, without having the same attitude as Christ Jesus, without pursuing love that's driven by this type of purpose? How can you do that? He continues, and he says this. He says, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And James 2, 19 through 20 he says, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. You say you have faith because you believe there is one God. And this, this next statement, and it, it strikes me in such a significant way because that's what we say, right? We, we raise our hand and, and, and we, we confess with our mouth that I'm a Christian, that, that I believe in God, right? I believe in Jesus. And, and that should be it, right? But he's saying, he says here, he says, even the demons believe this. Again, you say you have faith for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Without recognizing Jesus's authority, it's useless. And in order to recognize Jesus's authority, you have to you have to follow his call to arms, right? You have to follow his call to service. Otherwise, you're denying his place of authority in your life. And if you're just saying that you believe in him and it ends there, then you're no different than, than the demons. You're no different than, than those who are far from God. Because that type of faith is useless. That type of faith is dead. And so faith alone saves, but, 
But the faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it. When, when we look at the early church, would you look at the way that, that Jesus changed culture? And if you're in here, and I get some of you may not believe you may have shown up tonight, one, because you need us to sign a piece of paper. I'm glad you're here. Can't wait to sign the paper for you. Seriously, thank you. And, and if that's why you're here, man, I hope that you hear something. Or, or maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're far from God. All of these things. Are, or maybe you just think it, it's all bull. I, I want you to know this. I want you to hear this, that, that, that Jesus' existence is undeniable if you take just a second to look at his impact on history and the way that he changed culture and the way that, that culture shifted around his life and the way that people begin to deal with each other afterwards. Before Jesus, human rights wasn't a thing. Before Jesus, women's rights wasn't a thing. Before Jesus, the concept of equality didn't exist. And early Christians, they demonstrated this through their works. In the Roman Empire, the Romans would actually take their infants that, that maybe had defects or, or weren't the right gender, or, or maybe they just couldn't afford to feed them in a manner that they thought was adequate, and they would take their babies to the edge of town, and, and they would leave them there to die of exposure. And, and that wasn't unique to the Roman Empire. That was culture at this time, abroad. It wasn't because they were more detestable than anybody. It's because they hadn't been impacted by the truth of the gospel and the Bible. Their hearts hadn't been opened to the love of God that, that we've learned about here. But after Jesus, these Christians who were poor, who were destitute, who didn't have anything themselves, they would go pick up these babies, maybe of a different race, definitely of a different religion, and they would care for them and they would nurture them. And they would save them. You talk about following God with your works that even possibly to your detriment, you step outside of your comfort zone to save a child that comes from your enemy. And they would pick them up and they would care for them. Plagues early on. People were left to die, right? We, did, we didn't have a concept of modern medicine. And when those plagues would, would rip through towns, if it was a Christian community, Christians would show up and serve and love and care for the people that others had left to die. Because that's what God's love does. That's how it's acted out, that we have no choice but to serve others, even if it's not in our best interest. And so he wraps it up in verse 26, and he says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. That that faith that you hold on to, to, to save you, that, that without works, without something taking place that, that causes you to come to a place of action and willingness to serve and to love those around you, it's dead, it's useless. And you have to ask yourself, is this the kind of faith that saves? Is this the kind of faith that saves? Again, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And faith is just, it's believing, it's, it's hoping, it's knowing. And our actions should reveal. They should reveal what you believe, what you know to be true, that if that's on the inside of you, it should have no choice but to be displayed on the outside. And so I wanna share with you tonight three truths 
And they're going to be centered around serving. And I, I want to be very transparent with you. One, serving is something I'm incredibly passionate about. It's something that, that God used to shape and to mold my life in significant ways that I can't even begin to describe how selfish and self-centered I was before God did this work and, and caused me to step out of my comfort zone. If you want insight, I'm sure my younger sister would love just to tell you what um, a butt I was in all of those ways. But two, I want, I want to encourage you to, to get off the couch to step off your rear end and, and to go to places you're uncomfortable. I want, I want to challenge you. If you're in here and, and you're of consumer mindset where you make no contribution and you show up week after week with your handout saying, please be here for me. What do you have for me? That if that's you, I want to challenge you to, to realize that that type of faith is dead, that, that you need to be loving and serving people in some capacity around you. I'm not saying that the only place to do that is here. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that there's places in your life where that's what you should be doing. And if there's no place in your life that looks like that, you need to begin to question where you're at. Is this the kind of faith that you have? And then lastly, if you're in that place and you're bought in and you're serving, this is what I know to be true. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes you question why you continue to pour yourself out, possibly on people who don't reciprocate, who, who don't offer anything back. And you want to know, is it all worth it? And I hope to encourage you tonight in that too, because I get it. I go through seasons where I just want to throw my hands up and give up and say, I'm done. And so wherever you're at tonight, I hope that you lean in to what I have to say. It's going to be quick. Hopefully it'll be painful. But... Hopefully, it'll be good. And so um, all three points tonight, they're found in the gospel. They center around Jesus because that, that's what we're called here. When we look at recovery, we're, we're looking at a Jesus-centered life, that, that everything that we do here pivots on the truth of the gospel and what Jesus came to do. And so this is not excluded from that. And as I believe these will shape and mold your walk, your recovery, and your life, I thought it only fitting that, that we remain in the gospel for all of them. And so point number one tonight is this, we serve God by serving others. And we're going to be in Matthew, Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. And so again, Matthew is the first book of our New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of those books are the gospels. If you've never um, opened your Bible before, if you're one of the ones that just read Christian memes, I want you to know your, your Bible, it, it's God's word divided into two sections. And those first four books of your New Testament, they they solely focus on Jesus' life and ministry. That's the purpose of them. Matthew being the first of those. Matthew 25, verse 34 is where we're going to start. Here Jesus is, is teaching with a parable, which is, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or truth. Jesus would tell stories that related to the people to reveal a truth from God. Um, and it says this. It says, then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from creation of the world. And so Jesus is telling this, this parable to demonstrate the kingdom of God and the coming judgment, like what happens at the end. And, and he had talked about those who were far from God. Now he's focusing on those who got it right. And so 
I'm going to focus on this because I believe our desire in here is to get it right, right? We want to be this, this people group. This, this is the side we're trying to be on. And so he'll say, um, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And then he goes on. He says, for I was hungry and you fed me. What? Surely he means because you posted the dopest memes, right? I mean, that's got to be it. You had the sickest tattoo. That's totally, I'm sure what he meant. You had the fish sticker on the back of the minivan. Come to, come to me, you who drive a caravan, right? No. So come to me. Sorry, I'm getting off track. Who are blessed by the Father. Inherit the kingdom. Prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. That, that sounds like action. That sounds like love. That sounds like a faith that, that's called to arms. The faith that God wants us to have. Come to me, you who fed me. You who gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was a stranger. You didn't shun me. You weren't indifferent to me. You didn't walk past me. You saw me in my need. Think about all the people that we pass up because they make us uncomfortable. Because they don't look like we look, talk like we talk. We can tell they live on the streets and they probably haven't showered all week. And, and we need to make sure we take 10 steps back. And, and, but God's saying, man, those who inherit the kingdom of heaven, this didn't save them. But clearly this is evidence of that salvation, that, that if we know from God's work that works don't save, then why in the world is Jesus pointing out works in this parable? Because it's evidence. That outward expression is evidence that that faith truly saved them. That, that those that have inherited the kingdom of heaven, their life cannot look any other way than one that's marked by serving. Come to me, you who fed me, gave me something to drink, invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then he continues. He said, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Because surely, I mean, we're Jesus followers, right? We're Christians. We're good people. I mean, if Jesus was here, every single one of us would be lining up to give him the shirt off our back, right? Not one of us would walk out of this room without the opportunity to be good to them, right? And that's the truth of the matter. I would do things for a present Jesus here that I would do for nobody else. But God's saying it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way because he says, and the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, say least of these. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Because when we serve, we serve God by serving others. And that this faith that comes up, that should, be, that should be the mark of our salvation, that should be evidence to the people around us that, that we've surrendered, that we're pursuing something different, that we serve God by serving others. That, that if you're in here and you're like, Jesus is Lord, then he should be Lord of all. And if Jesus is Lord, then the least of those you encounter should be just as important as he is when it comes to serving if you would do it for Jesus, you should do it for them. If, if that's the gift you want to present, then, then that's the mindset that you need to approach people. That it shouldn't matter whether it's him here 
<laughs> or the transient, right? That, that whoever it is, it shouldn't matter if they agree with you politically, ideology, none of those things. We just need to recognize that faith that saves presents itself with works, and we should use those works to serve God, and in order to serve God, we serve people. We serve people. Again, point number one, we serve God by serving others. Point number two, serving allows us to experience God's blessing. This is one of those things that I can't even begin I can't even begin to tell you how true it is that, that when you look at my life, that the things that, that I hold so dear to my life, they came exclusively because I was willing to serve. That, that my wife, how I met her, I didn't, I didn't meet her through people. It wasn't because I was set up. The thing that gave her entrance in my life and me entrance in hers is because I stood at the kid's door with a microphone calling names. And because I was there every week, my wife said, that's a faithful man. Out of all the things, really, like I have a job, I have a house, and, and the thing you care about is I show up every week and hold a microphone and call your kids' names? Yes, because when we serve God, it positions us to experience his blessing in ways that we can't see. And through showing up faithfully, serving kids that, mind you, if you were here last week, I didn't even like them before. That God changed my heart to like kids so he could position me to meet my wife. And so maybe you're in here and you're like, God, I can't experience your blessing. Are you just selfish and self-centered? Have you got off your couch? I mean, show up to events. Show up to the community. Go out there. Meet people that love Jesus. Meet the people that God wants you to meet, which comes through serving. Because that positions us to experience what God has for, for us. And, and, and I experience, again, so much because, because I served. I was, able to, to, I was able to experience God's call in my life. You know, there's the two greatest days of our life, right? The, the day we were born and the day we discovered why. I would never have discovered what God had called me to do unless I'd been willing, first and foremost, to work with three-year-olds. That, that's where I started. I, I fed three-year-olds goldfish. There is nothing worse in my life than, than hanging out with three-year-olds. But, but that's where he started me. And, and through that place where I could not see light at the end of the tunnel, God began to use me, equip me, and to elevate me for what was next. And what was next was more kids. I'm like, really, God? Really? That's what it was for years. For years. And he continued. And he used that season to bring me more children, right, into my home where I've got six of them now. Love you all. Um, but, but through each season of serving and being faithful, God gave me another blessing and another blessing and another blessing. And the greatest things in my life did, did not come through my career or my own drive or my own ambition. And I've got tons of ambition. I've got tons of drive. And the greatest things in my life came from none of those. They came from simply showing up, being humble, and serving the people around me. And through that, God gave me so much 
Again, point number two, serving allows us to experience God's blessing. I want to share with you out of John. Um, John is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth gospel, right? Fourth book of the Bible. Um, it was written by one of Jesus' disciples, John. Um, John was the only disciple not to be martyred. He actually lived in exile um, to the end of his life. And this is his gospel account here. And, and what I want to share with you is in John 13, we're going to start in verse 12. And, and what this is, it's, it's the Last Supper. If you've never been in church or if this is new to you, the Last Supper is Jesus' last night before he's arrested and crucified and, and, and dies for our sins so that we could be saved. And as he's having a conversation with them, some things are taking place. Um, and it says in John 13, 12, it says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. I want to pause right there. Here we have Jesus, who's a religious teacher, he's got 12 disciples in the room, and the fact that he washed their feet is culturally unacceptable. The moment he walked in, people should have been aiding him, serving him. He was a man of position and authority in a culture that was centered around this type of thing, and yet here Jesus is, and he washes their feet. He serves them. And he continues in verse 14, and it says, And since I, your Lord and teacher, man, I just imagine that must have stung right there. Because those words, Lord and teacher, they carry weight in their culture. And I imagine in that moment, it really began to sink in what just happened. That, that this man, who they, didn't even, they can't even comprehend how much greater he is at this moment. But even in this, Lord and teacher... What he done? He said, and I, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. Now, I want to say this, and thank goodness that Jesus isn't encouraging us to actually wash each other's feet because feet are nasty. I don't want to touch any of your feet, right? I mean, praise God for that, that that's not the example. The example of one of even if you've got an elevated position, humbling yourself, that, that even if you can play the trump card and say, nah, I'm boss here, humble yourself, come down here, that no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, that it's important to serve the people around you. There's no, no one greater, right? There was no one greater in their circle. I mean, this was the guy they gave up everything to follow. And even though in this moment they can't comprehend the breadth and the depth of who he is yet, still, still they gave up everything for this guy. And here he, he'd washed their feet. He'd set this example. No greater voice in their life. No greater voice in our life. This is the example he set. And he continues. He says, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. For what? For following Jesus' example. That, that as we humble ourselves, as we recognize this truth, that, that we're not greater, that, that no position gives us an exemption from loving people the way God has called us to love them, when we begin to recognize that, we orient ourselves in a place to experience God's blessing. 
that, that when I served in kids' ministry, you know, one of the things that was hard for me, one, I served under a female, which I struggled with a lot of sexism at the time, to be real transparent with you. I don't today. But, but then, that was a big deal for me. It was. It wasn't comfortable. I wasn't very mature. And so that was the challenge. And she was younger than me. And so week after week, I positioned myself under a female who I was 10 years older than and say, what can I do for you today? What can I do for you today? What can I do for you today? How can I be present here? And then I served kids who were disrespectful and all of these things. And, and it, was, it was difficult, but it required me to grow, which is why God wanted me there, right? To experience my immaturity, to expose it so I could recognize it, so he could equip me and grow me and heal me and do all these things. And through that process, when I was ready, he said, I got something for you. I've got something for you. Areas of my life have not come without trouble, but the rewards that I've experienced, in spite of all of that, have been greater than anything I could have experienced if, if my heart remained the way that it was, if my attitude remained the way that it was. Because again, point number two, we need to realize that serving, it allows us to experience God's blessing. It allows us when we walk out that faith, when we don't allow our faith to be dead, but we allow it to be alive and we allow it to call us to action and call us to serve into positions and in place where we're humble. And that type of faith allows us to experience God's blessing. And so as we're serving, this is one of my favorites. Um, and, and in the church, I mean, there's kind of, there's different schools of thought, and, and I'm somebody who wholeheartedly believes that, that God's spirit still moves, right, that, that he still heals, that, that miracles take place, that, man, there's giftings, that there's things that God do, it does, and, and I, that's where I believe, and that's where I'm at. But I encounter so many people that, that question whether God does anything. And so this last point is this, serving positions us to experience miracles, that, that there's things that take place today, and unless you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and humble yourself and serve the people around you, you miss it. You miss it. There's things that I've witnessed that, that have taken place in people's lives that are nothing short of miraculous. And the only reason I personally got to encounter it is because I was serving. And I was in those positions. I humbled myself to encounter a move of God in a significant way. I want to share with you guys out of Mark. Again, Mark is one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, second one, right? Um, and so here, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story we've heard before. Jesus is teaching in this town, and, and things become crowded, and he's going to heal a man. But in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door while he was preaching God's word to them. And so here Jesus is. He's in this house. He's teaching, and it's packed with people, right? No room. But, but there's some people that haven't entered the story yet, and, and they want to get close to God. They've got a friend who's paralyzed on a mat, and, and it says this. It says, um, Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole 
through the roof above his head. Um, they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I mean, what, first off, what incredible friends. Like, that's the people you need in your circle right there, that, that they're willing to, to vandalize some stranger's house to get you at the feet of Jesus. I mean, you talk about ride and die kind of people. Those are ride and die kind of people. They're like, whatever it takes, right? Um, and I know, I always love that saying, anything short of sin, right, to, to do what we need to do to get people encountering Jesus. And I love that because that's the boat I'm on. Anything short of sin, let's do it. Let's get it done. And so these four men, they have a friend who has a need and, and they go above and beyond and, and they have, they place their buddy at Jesus's feet amongst the crowd. And so in this, I love, I love the response. It says this, seeing their faith, seeing whose faith? Seeing the man's faith? Seeing the crowd's faith? Seeing the four friends' faith, their faith, right? The ones that, that, that went to the roof and cut a hole and dropped him there, lowered him there, seeing their faith. And Jesus said to the man, Jesus said to the man, my child, your sins are forgiven. To which I'm sure that the guy's like, that's not why I'm here, bro. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, can't walk. But it begins this encounter. And, and in this encounter, the, the Pharisees are like, what are you doing? You can't forgive sins and, and you don't have this type of authority. Um, and, and this kind of goes back and forth. And then it picks back up. And it says, but some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up pick up your mat and go home. In verse 12, and the man jumped up. I love it. Jesus said, stand up, man jumps up. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were amazed and praised God exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. And four men whose faith brought this moment. I mean, think about that. Because of their faith, their willingness to humble and serve was the only reason this man was here. And because of that type of faith, because they'd positioned themselves in a way, they found themselves in the presence of Jesus. They could have been at home and saying, oh man, when is the Messiah going to come? When's this, this fellow going to come and save us? When are we going to encounter the Son of God? There was people in the city that were unaware of this. Why were they aware? Because they were serving. Because their hearts had been drawn to a place where they wanted to go through any length to get their friend healed and get him at the foot of Jesus. And because of that, they experienced a miracle that day. And so I want you to know this. There's, there's things that take place every single day, and you may miss out on it because you're stuck in your own world, you're stuck in your own selfishness, you're self-centered, and you never step foot at your comfort zone, and you think every day, I wonder, is God dead? Is there anything taking place? And I want you to know that there's those of us that, that encounter things every day in people's lives, that people walk through the doors every single Monday here, and they encounter Jesus, and it's nothing short of a miracle. That there's people that come here on a Sunday, and they encounter Jesus, and their lives are transformed, and that is nothing short of a miracle. When they walk away with their story changed, and there's those of us here that have no doubt in our mind that God is real, God is faithful, and God is moving, because we show up for more than service, and we stick around, and we serve, we get our hands dirty, and because of that, we experience the miracles of God 
week after week. And week after week, our faith is built. We're encouraged. And we find ourselves on fire for the next week. And you may be missing out because you're too busy, too stuck in your own selfish center. And I want you to know that, that through serving, through serving, we position ourselves to experience miracles. We position ourselves to experience a move of God. Again, and the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked through the stunned onlookers, and they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. But they're serving. Through their serving, they found themselves in the presence of a miracle. To recap tonight, we serve God by serving others. That, that if you have that faith and, and you've come to a position and a place and you say, God, you're, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, Savior I want to serve you, that, that requires you to serve people around you. We serve God by serving others. Number two, serving allows us to experience God's blessing. You, you may be going through life wondering if, if God loves you, if God cares, is he indifferent? And you may be missing out time and time again on something he has for you because you're unwilling to humble yourself and serve the people around you. Again, serving allows us to experience God's blessing. And number three, serving positions us to experience miracles. There's things that take place. God still moves. God still works. And he wants us to be a part of it. And the more we get in there, the more we get our hands dirty, the more we experience what God's doing. And through that, the more we're encouraged, the more our faith is built up, and the more that takes place. A couple action steps tonight. It's in growth track. We don't talk about it a whole lot on Monday, but... Every second service on Sunday, we do something called Growth Track, and that's an opportunity. You learn more about the church, but the big thing there is there's a gifting test where, man, you go through that. You discover who God created you to be and begin serving. I hope that you serve here, but more importantly, I hope you to serve, that you begin getting connected and involved in some capacity in some way. And so discover your gifts and begin serving. And, and number two, set a goal to perform a certain number of acts each day. This isn't so you can gloat. It's not so you can feel like you're better than other people. It's not so you can be more saved. Again, works don't save you. It's so you can pursue God's call in your life. So you can be encouraged. So you can be made alive in your faith. So you can experience what God has for you. And journal about him, <laughs> about how it makes you feel. Begin to recognize how it changes your attitude. Because if we position ourselves that way, man, we can experience what God's doing. God's doing things. Don't allow yourself to be blinded by it because you're unwilling to be humble and you're unwilling to serve. Everything we talked about tonight, it's all centered off one truth. Again, here at Cedar Point Recovery, we believe everything's centered around Jesus, right? And so as we talk about walking anything out, we believe that it requires a relationship with Jesus, um, that it's required for salvation, but it's, it's required for health. It's required for freedom. And so if you're in here tonight and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, we want to start there. Here in just a moment, we're going to have some men and women down here at the front, and they would love to pray with you and for you and lead you into a relationship, not a religion, a relationship with Jesus tonight. And, and that's where we recognize that, that we can't save ourselves, that we need him. We, we recognize that Jesus was the son of God, that, that he's Lord, that he's an authority, and, and we confess things to him and we pursue him. And so if that's you, if you're ready to make that decision tonight, we want to encourage you to come down front. And maybe you're in here and you've done that before. 
you've gotten off track, you've missed it, you've messed up, and you're just ready to come back, and, and you have a question, Pastor Aaron, can I? Yeah, just like that song at the beginning, right? He leaves the 99 for the one. Sometimes that one is one that was home but wandered. Maybe you wandered. And so the same invitation stands. We would love to pray with you and for you so that you can come back home, so you can recenter, refocus your life around him. And then maybe just through the service tonight that God's been dealing with you. He said, that area right there, you refuse to let go of that. You refuse to humble. This keeps you from being good to the people around you, or it could be any number of things. We have these white chips down at the front, and, and there's nothing special about them, but I believe there's something special about that act of faith that as we step out of our sea, as we come down here to the front, as, as we grab one of those, that there's something on the inside that God recognizes that act of faith and God begins to move. And, and through these, you can write down today's date. You can write down what it is. You can throw it in the cup holder of your car. But it just, it's just a reminder that, that you gave that to him. You surrendered that to him. And then lastly, maybe you're in here tonight and you just need prayer. You, you realize that you've been going at it alone and, and you, want, you want some help. You, you want to give him access. If that's you, we want to encourage you to come down front for prayer. And so for any of those things, to give your life to Jesus for the first time, to recommit, to pick up a white chip, or just for prayer, we want to encourage you to come down front and just surrender to join us. And if everybody would at this moment, if you guys would stand to your feet as we close in worship.